For many years, I always wore a bow tie when preaching, but uh, in my more mature years, I have, when preaching, worn what we used to call a foreign hand because that's how many loops you made in tying it. But today, I'm wearing a bow tie because it's a very special occasion. The very sacred culture of Botasnia. When boys approach manhood, there's a very rigorous ceremony through which they have to pass, and uh, many fail, and they have to wait an entire year to attempt it again. But those who successfully complete the ritual, why, they receive a bow tie. This morning, we have some boys who now have become men. Would you please stand, you who have received the bow tie? (laughs) Uh, There's one hiding up there, indeed. Three men who were a week ago mere boys. And they wear the badge to prove it. Well, enough of that foolishness. (laughs) Last Tuesday as I sat at my desk in the room next to the kitchen, as always fervently seeking the Word of God and asking God to speak that when I get in the pulpit I'd not bring a word from Jim Garrett, but the word that God wants brought. I did something I rarely do. I just opened my Bible and let it fall where it may. And it opened to the last chapter of Zechariah. The last chapter of Zechariah describes a very horrible situation surrounding Jerusalem. And as I read that chapter, of course, I recalled very naturally chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, which described the very same battle that someday will be fought. This will be a battle in which Israel initially will be defeated. Zechariah 14:2, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. And then God moves, and the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Now this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people's who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouth. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them. And they will seize one another's hand. The hand of one will be lifted against the hand of the other. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle 
that will be in those camps. For 1,813 years in the Christian era, people who read Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and who read the last chapter of Zechariah said, What's this all about? There is no nation of Israel. There is no Jerusalem that's the capital of Jewry. Because in 135 A.D., after the Bar Kokhba rebellion, the Romans, in essence, eliminated Israel. And all the Jews, they forced them to leave the land. And from that time on, for 1,813 years, there was no nation of Israel. Then... In 1948, the United Nations form founded the nation of Israel and Harry Truman recognized the nation and it became once again a viable nation. And once again, we could read this prophecy and say, ah, sounds like something is really going to happen. Isn't that a terrible battle to think about though? And yet it's here. You know, Jehovah Zanon's father, uh, Una, used to say, watch Israel. Now I'm paraphrasing, but he said, watch Israel. Israel is the time clock of the end times. (laughs) I agree with Una. I think that's true. For the first time in 1,813 years, a nation of Israel existed And it does today. Now, to fit all this together is a challenge. You know, they have the four schools of interpreting prophecy, the preterist school, futurist school, the historicalist, and the dispensationalist. We're not going to get into all that today. But as as I read these prophecies about this coming battle, And it is so specific, both in Ezekiel and in Zechariah, I have to believe that some point in history, just as sure as I'm standing in front of you today, something like that is going to happen to Israel and to Jerusalem. Ezekiel tells us that this army that comes against Jerusalem, and as you take the names that are listed and notice the modern nations, it will be a confederation of Arabic nations led by Russia, and the horrible things that will happen as a result of that. The battle is going to happen. It's a war in the future, and yet I must say that as I begin to look at the various things that are happening now in the Middle East, Middle East, I have to wonder, is this it? <laughs> is this it? Of course... As I began to think about the future and these predictive prophecies, how could I not think about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 24, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, 
And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. And then, of course, comes to mind the very clear statement that Paul wrote both to the Thessalonians and the Corinthians in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable must put on immortality, and this mortal must put on immortality. And then to the Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul warns that day will come like a thief in the night. And Jesus said, when you expect it, it's not when it happens. It's going to happen when you don't expect it. So we have these interesting prophetic statements about some kind of conflagration taking place at Jerusalem, some end-time battle that will happen in this world, and the return of Jesus, and how you fit all that together, I would not begin to try today. Depends on what particular school of prophecy to which you adhere. You know, many have tried to harmonize these, and, and I don't try, but here's what I think God wants me to talk about today in the meantime. In the meantime, while we're waiting. In the meantime, things are going to get worse for those of us who follow God. Just look at how far America has fallen in the last 20 years. How far we've fallen morally. How far down our society has gone. Romans 1, 18 and following, and we've said this before from the pulpit in class, I, I don't know any place we could find a more perfect description of America in the 21st century than these passages. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures in here. Therefore, and your three things we're going to notice here. God, therefore, God gave them over 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God said, when I take my hand off, here's what happens. That their bodies might be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. How many of us are serving the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever? Amen. Number two, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchange a natural affection for that which is unnatural. In the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the penalty of their error. And the third thing, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness wickedness greed evil full of envy murder strife deceit malice gossip slanders haters of god insolent arrogant boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents without understanding untrustworthy unloving unmerciful and then this all they know the although they know the ordinance of god and those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them greed evil strife Doesn't that describe us today in America? Whether you are a right-wing extremist, an anti-Semitic, a Nazi socialist, whatever you might be, I pray none of you are, but we see these different ones at war and so angry with each other. We're a divided nation Why has God taken his hand off America? I don't know if any of the rest of you were here. Well, Dorothy was here during World War II. I'll tell you what, we were a praying nation. A praying nation. We got in the newspaper photos of what was happening on the battlefield. We heard it on the radio. And we're constantly gathering in our church buildings to pray, to pray, to pray. We were a praying nation. Then over the years, we took prayer out of our schools. You know, when I was in school as a boy, the day began by reading scripture, reciting the Lord's Prayer, standing at attention, and saluting the flag. I don't think that's done anymore. We've gone so far afield. Laws that are happening all over our nation I heard this past week, and I just get up, got in on the tail end of this, so I didn't get the whole story. But there's some uh, in, in the state of Washington, in one city, and I didn't get which it was, the uh, establishment that runs our public schools has put forth a new curriculum in which kindergarten children are getting sex education. They discuss body parts, 
how you use those different body parts in having sex, and also tolerating same-sex relationship. Kindergarten, can you believe that? That's our nation. That's our nation. And how, how far is that going to spread? We have fallen so far. The day was coming <laughs> when Jesus is coming and all that will end. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for that final battle, while we're waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus, even though we experience opposition and persecution, some of us may even face martyrdom. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil men and impostors will proceed from worse to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing. That's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? So that also at the re revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And Paul gave similar exhortation to Timothy. Don't be ashamed of me of the gospel. Join with me in suffering. So in the meantime, as we're waiting for that day when the Lord will come and gather from the four corners of the earth all of those who are his, we should not be surprised at the glorying, growing persecution, suffering that some of us will endure because we wear the name of Christ, Christian. It's coming in the meantime. We might as well get ready for it. All those who live to desire a life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And we're seeing it, aren't we? In place after place after place. But the day of the Lord will come <laughs> like a thief in the night. You know, in spite of all the evil that surrounds us, you know that song we sang today, Hallett? What a song, that last song. I don't know about you, I had to quit singing and weep a little bit as we sang that last song. Wow, so fit what I feel God wanted me to say today. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. Elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. And here's the question. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In the meantime, in the meantime, let's display a holy life and a godly life regardless of what we're facing in the meantime. It's important that we do not adjust our lives to fit the mores of culture nor compromise in order to avoid persecution. 
we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There are two reasons. First of all, in every situation, let's ask this question. What would Jesus do? Remember the bracelets that were so popular for a long time. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you start facing difficult circumstances and difficult tests and the temptation to compromise comes on you so you will avoid persecution, what would Jesus do? The second reason is, of course, (laughs) to keep our eyes on the goal, which is to spend eternity with him. For many years, I, I ran several days a week. And I loved to run. I would jog some and then just as hard out as I could, I'd sprint. And then I'd jog and then sprint and jog and sprint and jog. And to the point of exhaustion, I think I just can't go anymore. And then I'd look at a tree down the trail. I can make it that far and I'd make it to that tree. I can make it to the next one. Look at that tree and I'd run. I could make it. (laughs) Setting that goal out there, I could go. Life's like that. What's the goal? The goal is to see Jesus. There's another one also. In the last two years, Barbara Sullivan lost her mom and dad. Dallas bid farewell to Myrna. Laura Grinnell bid farewell to Marnie, her mother. October 20th, 2008, I bid farewell to Barbara. What's the goal? Someday, we'll see him again. Someday, we'll be united with these precious ones before the Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, keep our eye on the goal, which is eternity with our Lord and eternity with those whom we have loved. And (laughs) saints of the ages we've never met. As I read the writings of the early church fathers, I can't help but be stricken by how many of these paid the price of martyrdom because they were faithful to Jesus. Someday I will see them face to face and not just read about them 
in some old book. In the meantime, we must be people of peace. We must be people who do not stir up anger and disturbance. Paul wrote to the Romans, If it is possible, so far as it is in you, live at peace with all men. I, I cannot avoid thinking about the example of the apostles as I read this. Remember first Peter and John were arrested after they'd healed the man, uh, the crippled man at the gate, beautiful, and they brought him before the court, and they were trying to judge him, and they said, well, you know, here's this guy healed standing in here. We'd like to do something mean to these guys, but we're afraid of the people. <laughs> and then later, all the apostles were arrested and were told in Acts 5 that when the Apostles were arrested. The soldiers who were hauling them to jail were afraid because of the crowd. They were afraid the crowd's going to stone them because the crowd was on the side of the apostles. Now think about what the apostles could have done. They could have turned to the crowd and said, Are you going to let them do that to us? <laughs> and then a riot would have ensued, and who knows what horrible things would happen. But they passively allowed themselves to be arrested, put in jail, even whipped. But they said, you judge whether it's right to obey you or God. We have to obey God. In other words, we respectfully disobey. <laughs> they were people of peace. I think the... March for Life this past week set a good example. All over this nation, people marched, but there were no riots, no were shouts of hatred, no stirring up anything that was wrong, but peace. That's the way our God would have it. In the meantime, we have to be willing to lose precious relationships as we're faithful to Jesus. Our Lord wrote, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Recently, there's a man in this church whose sister, his sister's daughter, began to live a lesbian lifestyle. And then she decided to marry her lesbian lover. And this man's sister, the mother of the lesbian, wanted the family to come together and celebrate this lesbian marriage. 
our brother in this church wrestled with that. And he wrote a letter saying, I love you, my niece, so on and so on. I love my sister, but I cannot celebrate sin. And some alienation from the family took place. Last week, I had a man from another church call me just wanting to discuss what the Word of God said about a situation he was in. His brother has been married and divorced three times. Never did the divorce happen because his wife was unfaithful. He was always the culprit. And now he's getting ready to marry a fourth time. And so this friend of mine who called said, What do I do? I, what this man is doing is, is going to be sin. What can I do? <laughs> My mother wants us all to go and celebrate this event. Before Christ, I can't. And I know that man is going to experience some alienation from family because he will not celebrate sin. The way this world is going, more and more of us are probably going to face decisions like that in which we'll be losing relationships with family, we'll be losing relationships with friends because we refuse to go along with the social mores that violate the will of God. Satan's schemes are so clever. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we're not ignorant concerning his schemes. There are just so many schemes abroad today. <laughs> we must be willing to stand with God regardless of what we face. One thing that a Satan really likes to do is to create doubt. You may be in a very difficult situation and you pray, Lord, get me out of this <laughs> and nothing happens. Are you really there or are you just a fantasy? And Satan starts to put doubt in your spirit. Remember Paul who had some kind of an ailment, I think probably was his bad eyesight because later in to the Galatians, he, Paul was traveling. He didn't plan to stop in Galatia, but he had to because of a sickness. And because of his sickness, they got the gospel. And Paul said, I know you love me so much that if you could, you would have given me your eyes, implying that that probably was what his thorn in the flesh was. I, I cite problems that he had from that day when he first had that vision of Jesus Christ. And he said, three times, I besought God to take this thorn away from me. And three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> and that is so often his response, isn't it? Instead of plucking out the thorn he gives us the grace to endure it. And there are those times, surprisingly, when he plucks out the thorn. You know, it's amazing how God looks after us sometimes. We're not aware of it. Let me give you an illustration this morning. 
I got ready to leave the house and couldn't find my car keys. Well, where on earth are the car keys? I went outside, and I had left them in the ignition all night long. Somebody could have stolen my car. But I'd also left the key slightly on, and the battery was almost totally discharged. I thought, dear Lord, I want to get to the church building today early, and my car won't start. So I turned on the starter, just barely, yeah, yeah, and then kicked off. <laughs> Whoopee. God just, you know, somebody could have stolen my car last night, and that's happening in our neighborhood, but they didn't steal mine. <laughs> just, I, I'm amazed at how God covers my stupidity <laughs> uh, so often in life. But Satan do all that he can to bring about doubt. We can look at those little things that often we fail to notice. The little things where God says, I'm taking care of you. But here's some big one. I want you to deal with this big one. Sometimes we're so surrounded by evil. When we see the forces of the world becoming stronger, and some of us face absolutely impossible situations, it gets difficult to believe that someday this spiritual warfare is all going to end, but it will. And in the meantime, we put on that full armor of God that Paul wrote about in Ephesians. We pray without ceasing. We have a sure word. As Peter said, you know, we didn't deliver cleverly devised fables when we came teaching we had a sure word. We were with a mountain on Jesus and heard the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son. We saw the glory. We have a sure word. Brother and sister, we have a sure word. In the meantime, it's always important for us to be faithful to the word of God that we hear in Scripture. And then this, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about these verses of Scripture, every time the coming of Jesus, I think of that song, The Great Judgment Morning. I dreamt of the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamt that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. And from the throne came a bright shining angel. He stood on the land and the sea and with his hand raised to heaven swore time no longer would be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. I ask you this morning, <laughs> should that trumpet blast occur today and the shout from heaven take place, are you ready? You better be. Because it's happening. But in the meantime, let's be faithful to him. Amen.